This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, welcome into the Stinky Truth Podcast. Mark Schlarth alongside Mike Evans. Mike, uh, gosh, it feels like it's been forever. It was only a week ago that we did a podcast, but... uh... It feels like it's been a while. I know. There's there's so much happening, but yet this is still kind of the quote-unquote dead time in the in the summer before it all gets started. But we're only, what, a couple of weeks away? I guess it's from almost camp's two opening. weeks since we did because we had the 4th of July off, so we didn't do anything, right? We didn't do anything. So it has been two weeks. It has That's been two why weeks. I feel so. I've, I've I knew you. it felt I've, longer. I've missed you, I knew. you, you big love. I miss your musk. Oh, I miss man. your musk. But there's, there's plenty yeah. of stuff going on. I know you're... You're fired up. You just were at the Fox NFL yeah. Summit. Sure. Most people would call it a seminar. No. Whenever no. Mark Schlereth and that kind of high-priced talent is together, yes. star power, yes. it becomes a summit. Right. So you were out there. What were some of the takeaways? Because I know that a lot of the uh, officials, you'll you'll get kind of talked to about what's coming down the pike in the NFL. Anything that fans need to be aware of mm. that uh, might be different. Yeah, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't think there's a lot of major rule changes, obviously with like video assistant and, and, and some of the, some of the mechanisms for officiating, um, they will try to, to expediate the game and ultimately, um, ultimately not as let as many things go or, or try to make ruling. So not as many things go to challenge, right? which has always been my thought process in the first place anyhow. Do, do you want to get it right all the time or do you just want to get it right when you have a challenge? Right. Like that, that doesn't make any sense to me. So why isn't everything video assist? If you have an official up and, and he goes, let me look at that really quick. No, move on, move on, move on. Or no, we need to look at that. Like we need to take more time. I, I just, I don't understand. I guess it's the strategy of how you use your challenge flags or whatever, but I always think it looks like a clown show. So that, that, but that's me personally, but just kind of the mechanisms of how that video assist gets done, how they operate um, coming into challenges, what they're trying to do, how they're trying to expedite the process so that, you know, as soon as, you know, you score a touchdown, somebody looks at that video and says, yeah, that's good. Or, Oh, Hey, we need to look at it. So some of that stuff, um, I think there was only one major change, one, one major rule change, and that is you can fair catch a kickoff or a, a, you know, if you get a safety and you have the, the punt, you know, where you punt it, um, the punt kick, whatever that is called. I don't even know what it's called. But you can fair catch anything inside the 25 and it comes out to the 25. So, you know, the whole theory is is about 37% of kickoffs were returned last year. And they're trying to eliminate that play essentially as much as they can and so they think they've done you know a bunch of number crunching they've got a bunch of you know people out there that are nerds um and they have figured out that uh they think that's going to take it down to about 31 to 30 to 31 percent of returns um but but it's a valuable tool think back a couple years ago to the kansas city buffalo game Mm -hmm. Right where they kicked off through the end zone, and Buffalo and excuse me, Kansas City got the ball at the twenty-five. And what they should have done is, you know, is these t- kickers are so talented they should have just, you know, mortar kicked it to the one-yard line, made somebody return it, eat five seconds off the clock. Right. 
Well, now you could just fair catch that. You're on the two. You just fair catch it. It comes out the 25 anyhow, and no time comes off the clock. So now it's not so much about kicking it really high and putting it on the one-yard line. Now it's going to become about squib kicking and making people return it on a squib kick. So, you know, you'll see special teams coaches. There's an advantage there if you're a good coverage team. Um, there's an advantage there to pinning somebody behind the 20, whatever, you know, maybe kicking it, squib kicking it right at an alignment that's on the, you know, on, on the second line of people there where that dude is either forced to react to the ball or get out of the way. And then it disrupts your return that you have set and all that kind of stuff. So that'll be like really the only major rule change that I think will be a, that will have an effect on the way teams operate and the way special teams operate on kickoffs. So the bullseye is uh, on the backs of the Kansas City Chiefs as the defending Super Bowl champs, and you've you've had a chance to you love diving into the film, you yeah. love studying the film, and you've had a chance to look at some Chiefs film as mm-hmm. you get ready to call your first game of the season, which will be Arizona and Washington. So explain why you're looking at Chiefs film and what stands out. Yeah. Um, okay, so Arizona Arizona Chiefs was week one of, of last year, and the Chiefs hung 44 on Arizona. Well, um, Jonathan Gannon comes from Philadelphia and takes over the Arizona Cardinals. So, hey, man, that's a good thing to look at, right? Arizona, and not so much schematically, but from a personnel standpoint, and how do the Chiefs expose that personnel? So I looked at that, and then I also went back and did a deep dive into the Super Bowl because Jonathan Gannon came from Philadelphia. He ran the defense of Philadelphia, and what did the Chiefs put up thirty-eight in that game? So I wanted to look at those two games to see what you know what made the Chiefs the Chiefs. By the so way, to speak. since we're talking about Jonathan Gannon, can I just get this get this out of the way? Yeah. Pew, 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 yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So they will. They will. Okay. Yeah. They will go down that road. Um, but it was a really fascinating study on on the Chiefs. And I haven't done any Chiefs games. Um, So it was interesting when I went back and kind of dove deep into it. Um, Amazing. Once they lost some of their receivers and they lost, you know, the cheetah Tyreek Hill. um, He went to to the Miami Dolphins. Um, They had some injuries, the receiver position. How they transitioned from being a, you know, a wide receiver dominant football team to how they came into a heavier personnel packages, so, um, two tight ends, three tight ends. I mean, I bet you they're in two tight formations and three tight formations 50% of the time. And here's an offense that's pretty wide open, right, that has a really good passing game that puts up unbelievable numbers in the passing game that's running it out of more condensed formations, more multiple, you know, heavy personnel groupings. Um and, and what they do to expose people in that. So in Arizona, you know, playing the Arizona Cardinals, the Arizona Cardinals are funny because they're, they're a team that the, under Vance Joseph, who's now in Denver as a defense coordinator, a lot of blitz off the edge, and they want to play you in nickel and dime packages because they have a bunch of different kind of corner safety combinations that all can cover, that all can play, and that all are, are pretty aggressive. And one of the guys that I think is a big difference maker in this league is Buda Baker at the safety position, but he plays a lot of nickel and he can man-to-man cover, he can zone cover, he can play deep, but where he really makes his hay, where he's become an outstanding player and really made a name for himself is in the box, 
as kind of a nickel corner, if you will, and a run support guy and a blitz guy and all that kind of stuff. And so they played them in a lot of Kansas City played them in a lot of heavy personnel. And my, you know, my assumption or or what I think they were doing is saying, hey, we're gonna make we're gonna make you, you know, match us to base. So we're gonna make you play three linebackers and we're gonna take Buda Baker out of the box. So we don't have to contend with him in there. So we don't have to worry about some of their blitz package and some of the stuff they do. The other thing that was really interesting is watching the Arizona Cardinals come pressure off the edge. So a lot of times when you walk up in the middle, you know, you get those double A gap blitzers. A lot of times those guys are basically bluffing to hold your protection inside so they can bring edge pressure, right? That's what they want to do. Well, when you got a guy like Mahomes, and Mahomes is just a witch. I mean, the guy is just like you just – there's so many rewindable moments where you just look at him and go, really? Like being a Denver guy, I, yeah. I look at it and go, really? No wonder we haven't beaten them 15 times in a row. Like they've beaten the Denver Broncos 15 times in a row. There are a lot of fan bases that feel the same way. And the dude is just freaking phenomenal. I can't tell you how many times, you know, we always look at the Marvel, at the, like the no-look pass and stuff. Dude, it's just standard operating procedure. Where he'll get a dude that's running like, a, he'll get Travis Kelsey on a, on a over. Right, and they'll get pressure off the edge, and he'll step in the pocket, manipulate around, and he'll be his body will kind of move to this side, and all of a sudden, it, it's a window that's like it's like a milk carton, right? And all of a sudden, he goes up, and he just is looking this way, he goes heat that way, boom, dime piece, right, tink right there, and I mean, it's just like you're going, my gosh, this guy is a freak show, and. You know, I, I talk about the edge pressure. Well, he's so good at stepping up in the pocket and manipulating the pocket and keeping his vision downfield, understanding where everybody is, and then just being able to throw from any arm angle. Like it's it's remarkable to watch him play. But it's it's freak school freak school meets old school, right? Because yeah, he can make those kind of throws, but mm-hmm. yet, whereas a lot of quarterbacks, the moment they see pressure, they you know, they take right. off out to the edges. He still has that pocket awareness, Absolutely. pocket presence yeah. that all the great pocket quarterbacks have had over the years, whether it be a, a Joe Montana, a Peyton Manning, mm-hmm. a, a Tom Brady. They all have that pocket awareness, how to manipulate the pocket. Mahomes has that too, which I think sometimes is part of his game that gets overlooked. The, oh, I don't, the, the, I don't, the, the really old yeah. school fundamental greatness of his game. Yeah, manipulating, you know, you manipulating coverage and holding guys and throwing it where they ain't and all that. Yeah, he does he does it all exceptionally well, but there are so many just rewindable moments where you like I got to see that again. And then you know, Arizona played him with a bunch of man coverage, and so they're running a bunch of mesh concepts and double moves off of uh off of, you know, they'll set something up like they'll run like, if they get a tight end, like, Travis Kelsey will be flexed outside the, the Z receiver. And he'll short motion in, then he'll run a, you know, a drive or, or a shallow cross, whatever, right? And they hit that, and they get yardage. And so now all of a sudden they trace it, and this man and the guys coming with him, and they fake that shallow cross, and then, boop, they run a go off of it, you know? And there's Travis Kelsey, touchdown, you know, da 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 and then bring out the band. And they do a great job of, of setting themselves up and seeing what you're playing or how you're playing, and then they've got the guys that get it done. You know, we always talk about, is it coaching or is it is it players? And, you know, to be honest, it's a little bit of both, right? you got to have a coach that can design those things. But ultimately, you can design those all day long. If your players aren't smart enough to execute them or aren't athletic enough to execute them and don't run good enough routes or don't set guys up well enough, you know, because if you get a guy that's in trail 
and he's on your hip and you're running that shallow cross and he stays in leverage with you, you know, like he gets in your tailpipe and basically right there. Well, when you spin out of it and try to, you know, try, he's got you covered, right? You're going to run into him. But the key is to sell it and to get that guy where he's not just behind you or not in perfect leverage, but he's just getting over the top. And now I spin out and now he's screwed, right? And just the, the feel you have to have to be able to do those things. So as important as coaching is, and it's important, players are more important, sure. right? The, the Jimmys and Joes defeat the X's and O's. And, you know, you think <laughs> about it. I mean, think about Andy Reid, you know, surefire Hall of Famer, one of the best coaches. I, I saw a bunch of stuff. Is it Andy Reid or Bill Belichick? How many Super Bowls did Andy Reid win before he had Patrick Mahomes? What was that? He went to one with yeah. with, McNa- with McNabb. Yeah. They went to one, and did they? And they had Alex Smith. Did no? I mean, just like the facts are the facts, right? No, but what you are talking about, though, when you do talk about the importance of coaching, what what you've just described here with the Chiefs is is some adapt adaptability. Yeah, you know, and understanding that hey, maybe we don't have. Tyreek Hill here. We don't have the same kind of receivers, so now we're going with more tight ends. And I think that as a football fan, maybe other football fans uh, watching this might think the same thing. I think sometimes we think about the the really great uh, play callers in this league, and we think, okay, they have their system. Mm-hmm. But they really do adapt, don't they? They they coach to what they have, right. and they're not necessarily as rigid my way or the highway when it comes to their system. Their system can change and evolve. Right. Over the years. Yeah. And think about, I mean, just go back. If you if you think of the recesses of your mind, the Super Bowl. So they get two touchdowns, two third down plays. Yeah. One from one side, one from the other side. The first one, Kadarius Tony, they short motion him in. They get follow. So it's going to be some type of man. And, and then they're going to zone it off because you can see the corner. I think it's Darius Slay looking at the safety saying basically Banjo, Banjo, you take him from if he goes across and he just stops right behind that receiver. They almost stack, stop, whoop, out the backside, touchdown. It's like stealing. I mean, and nobody's on that side of the field. It was like, so what do they do? They get into the third down again, the very next drive, um, opposite side of the field. Now it's Sky Moore, same motion. They get trapped again in a man deal and out the backside, touchdown again. And I think one of the things that's really cool about studying film is you'll see a play or a group of plays or a formation that a team really likes. And then you'll see um, a play out of that formation, and then you'll see the exact same formation, the exact same motion, the exact same personnel group, and you'll see at least one or two adjunct plays off that play. And basically, it's it's like a pitcher that's throwing every pitch from a different arm slot or from a, the same, same exact arm. arm slot, right? So when he's when he's throwing, he's like ninety six from here, right? And then it's all of a sudden a slider that's that's you know eighty two from here, and a curveball that's eighty four, and then or you know eighty eight slider and and an eighty two mile an hour curveball, and then all of a sudden it's a changeup. You know, and it's all coming. It all looks identical. If you're on, it's impossible to hit that guy. And that's what the great play callers like Andy Reid or Kyle Shanahan, they do that. They make you play a certain formation, a certain personnel grouping, a certain play, and then they absolutely just mind-screw you with three things off of it that look identical that get you. And, you know, and and they wait, right? They set you up. And it's just like, you know, they, they throw out the lure and they just, da, 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 da. 
right? And they get you, and they get you, and they, and then all of a sudden they throw something else out there. You have the fate of the universe. Mm-hmm. One football game to play. Fate of the universe is on the line. Right. You can have one current NFL play caller. Who is it and why? Ooh, um, I would I would take Kyle Shanahan um, as my play caller because he he can win and he can tie you up in knots in the running game and the way they operate from an angle standpoint. From he does the same thing in the running game where he'll run one play and for the offense one or two guys has to change kind of entry point or what they're doing and the other nine guys have to do the exact same thing and so it's essentially you're running the exact same play over and over and over again and to the defense it'll look like six different plays and they'll they'll just pummel you with the same thing over and over but just a little bit of a twist a little bit of a nuance to that play and he does a great job with that. And then he wins with Purdy. He wins with, you know, he just wins with um, a Jimmy G. He just he just wins with quarterbacks that, you know, other guys ultimately aren't going to win with. It's it's like Joe Gibbs, my former coach in Washington, won a Super Bowl with Theismann, won a Super Bowl with Doug Williams, won a Super Bowl with Mark Rippon. I mean, that's, you want to talk about great coaching? Yeah. Yeah. You want to talk about great coaching? Yeah. That's Unreal, yeah. And I know the league is a little bit different than it was then, but that's that is unreal. While we're talking about uh, play callers, offensive coordinators, how about the story in Philadelphia of Brian Johnson, who has become the offensive coordinator mm. of the Eagles, and unbeknownst to the Eagles, the relationship that he has had back to his childhood right. with Jalen Hurts, yeah. His dad, Jalen Hurts' dad is a coach, and he coached Brian Johnson. And I think the cool thing about that story is, you know, you go into an interview, and you want to give yourself every chance. It's an eight-hour interview. Yeah. Eight-hour interview, and they're just talking football, right, and talking philosophy and what you want to do and all this, that, and the other, when they hired him as the quarterback coach. And never once did he mention in that eight hours that he's known Jalen since he was a little kid, that Jalen's dad coached him in, in what, in high school? Um, he never used that as a trump card. The fact that he just wanted to get this job based on the merit of his coaching over the course of his career, which you I You and find, I would all lead with that. Right. Right, we'd lead with it. By the way, yeah, by the way I don't I, know if you know this. Yeah, but, I'm tight with Jalen. Yeah. <laughs> but he never, he never used it. It's like a testament to his character and the way he wants to be perceived and the way he wants... Um, you know, to earn his opportunities. I thought that was a really, like a really cool story about Brian Johnson. That's cool. That's cool. As we talk about uh, a new wave of young quarterbacks coming into the league, which ones will make it, which ones won't. Jim Ursay, the owner of the Colts, I, I love his honesty uh, because he's he's being blunt when he says, hey, Anthony Richardson needs to play. It might not look good. It might look ugly. Yeah. It might be a struggle, but he has to play. Do you agree with that? That these rookie quarterbacks just need to be thrown into the deep end and sink or swim? Um, I agree with it probably more now than I did in my day simply because of the way the game has changed. Um, Andy Richardson is a phenomenal athlete. 
a phenomenal athlete. So there's a lot of things you can do with a guy like that um, that take a little bit off of – if you've got a plate, you know, and, and you're divvying that plate up, it takes something off that plate that um, – from a, just a mental understanding, a progression kind of understanding of how we can be successful without having to be successful, except, you know, all through nothing but the pocket. And so now all of a sudden you've got the RPO game. Um, and, and those are simple, like one receiver route reads. So essentially when you're talking about, like for instance, RPO glance. So let's just say a glance route is like a, like, what they call a glance route, it's a it's a uh, a slant, okay? It's a backside slant. So you've just got an X receiver, okay? And all you're really doing in a single high look on that weak side is you're reading that linebacker. So if that linebacker, as you fake a handoff, that linebacker steps up, you run that slant behind him with a single corner. you got a single high safety, boom. And it's basically you're saying, hey, if he drops back to take away the slant, Right, if he hand it off, if he sucks up on the fake, pull it, whoop, RPO, run pass option. That's what we're doing. So that becomes an easy. What do you do? Hand it off. Okay, he played up. Now I'm just throwing a slant, and you're only looking at that one guy. So it's a. It becomes a really kind of and it's you know, oversimplification. And then you do the same thing if it's a safety down, right? If the safety plays up, it's it's the same exact thing. So now all of a sudden, I've got one call. I've got two options, either to hand it off or to, you know, or to throw it. And then all of a sudden, I can also add the option of the quarterback run into something like that. Because these quarterbacks are just so freakishly athletic. Right. More and more now. Right. And so now all of a sudden I'm, you know, I'm doing the same thing when I'm getting a double team and I'm reading that defensive end. If he squeezes, you know, if he squeezes, hand it off. If he doesn't, or if he squeezes, excuse me, pull it and go around the edge. If he, if he feathers it, then let the running back take it, mm-hmm. right, on a dive. And so now you, you've got that aspect of, of, you know, of the option in there as well. So these athletic quarterbacks, and then when you start boot keeping, you start running waggles to the front side or boot keep out the backside. Now, all of a sudden, I've got a half field read that becomes a very easy, you know, from your progression. I always call it kind of a linear progression. So normally, if I boot keep, so I think a like let's say I fake the handoff to the left and I boot out the backside to the right. What do I have? I've got somebody in the flat, right? Somebody who's running like like. Tight end slide, bam. So he's sliding out to the front. So he's got that right there. So that's one. Then two is usually an intermediate over route by another tight end, right? So now I've got one, two, right in my eye level. And then I've got a third guy that's running off traffic, essentially, right? And running a comeback or whatever he's running. But it becomes, you flip your head around, you go, okay, first guy's open, bam. Second guy's open, bam. It, it becomes a very one, two, three kind of linear progression. All very, on the same side yeah, of the field. All on the same side of the field. So yeah. I'm not even worried about that right, backside. It right, doesn't matter anymore. Right. And 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 if those guys all get covered, what do I do? I take off and run. So I think from Ursay's perspective, he's got to play. He's going to learn the drop back aspect of football along the way. Right. But we've got so many more tools than we had in my day to integrate a guy and to let him have success while he's learning the game. And so from that standpoint, 
it, it makes it makes perfect sense. And let's face it, this is what a lot of these guys did in college, mm-hmm. and so they weren't exposed to that. It's not like they're. It's not like you're saying, "Hey, the guy doesn't have the capability of doing it, and he doesn't understand the game from the neck up." It's the guy was never asked to do it, right? Like, how can you expect a guy to be able to kind of operate solely from the pocket when the guy's never been exposed to operating solely from the pocket? So it's it's part of the learning progression. But in today's game with an athlete at quarterback, and we've seen so many guys, it's changed the way the quarterback position is played now. Um, with those guys, uh, I think the transition from college – to the pros becomes much smoother and, and it's a, it's a quite a bit easier. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. And then all the other intangibles that you're, you know, you're out there, you're earning the respect of your teammates, mm-hmm. you're learning what it's like to be in the NFL, all the things that go on during the week with being the franchise guy, yeah. you're able to get a head start on getting ahead of all those things. So yeah, you could see why it's easier for quarterbacks coming into the league than it may have been in the, in the past. How about though, when it comes to, the kind of help that you give quarterbacks versus once a quarterback has made it. I wanted to ask you specifically about wide receivers. We here in Denver, the Denver Broncos have the most expensive, most yeah. money devoted to their wide receivers than any other team in the NFL. And that's with a quarterback and Russell Wilson that they're getting ready to pay $250 million to. Where do you come down on the idea that, you know, we've got this kind of quarterback so we invest in pass catchers this way versus we're one of the lucky ones that have found our franchise guy. Yeah. Does that change how you put receivers around that player? Yeah, I think that um, I think obviously receivers every every position is a dependent position. Um, the receivers to me is one of the most dependent positions in football. Ten other guys have to do their job for you to sniff a football. So you know you may think that you you. you you may think that you're God's gift and that, that you're the <laughs> the nucleus of the cell uh, or whatever, here right? Here comes the offensive yeah. line bias, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> that, that everything else orbits around you, but, um, of course, you don't understand football. Um, anyhow, I, I do think that, like, I look at the Broncos receiving room, I go, how can that room be the most expensive room in football? You want to talk about a mismanagement of funds and a mismanagement of building a team. I, I still believe you build a team from the inside out, right? You got to have a great offensive line. You got to have a running game. You got to have a quarterback. And you know, obviously, it's important to have tight ends and it's important to have those guys. I mean, it it, it all works together. Um, but like, I look at the Broncos receiving room right now. They've got five guys. They've got Jerry Judy, who's a first rounder. Cortland Sutton, who's a second rounder. They've got Tim Patrick. I don't know if Tim Patrick was undrafted. Undrafted. Tim Patrick, who I think is their best player at that in that position, like best football player in the wide receiver room. They've got KJ Hamler, who's a second rounder who can flat run. And then they just drafted Marvin Mims in the second round. Now Marvin Mims is going to make the team. He's a second round draft pick to this to this coaching staff, yeah. right? So he's going to make the team. Of those five guys, you you're not keeping all five of those guys on your roster. During the offseason, they tried to move somebody, they couldn't get it done, right? Their their asking price was too high. Um but at, at some point, either somebody's going to get cut or somebody's going to get moved in training camp. That's my prediction. Because to me, you can't have five guys on your roster. Five guys are going to make the team. Only four of them will make the team. Because you can't have five guys on your roster that don't play special teams. And I don't know what Marvin Mims does, but as a second rounder, he ain't covering kickoffs. Right? He ain't, he's not going to be a punt cover guy. He's just No, it's not going to happen. So one of those guys has got to be moved. Whether it's K.J. Hamler or whether they can get a, you know, whether they can get 
draft capital or a player for a guy like Cortland Sutton or maybe even a Jerry Judy. Um, I think you're going to see that. The other thing that I, I would predict, again, Tim Patrick coming off an ACL, he is their best football player. I wouldn't be surprised to see Sean Payton give him a much bigger role in this offense. And I think about Michael Thomas's, you know, his ascension to to being the guy that, you know, catches 140 balls a year before he got injured. Um, when you watch him, most of his if you if you take the box, right? So a couple yards outside of each tight end, eight yards deep. Like when I think of Michael Thomas, that's where I think him catching the ball. That's his office. Right. That's yeah. that's where he does his work. Using that big body, bodying people up, whether you're running a little spot route, whether you're running a little comeback, you know, a little a little hookup, whether you're running the shallow, you know, the drive or the shallow cross, um, a basic. Like that's where you're getting that's where you're making your money. And then it's catch and run, it's being physical, it's that bodying people up and all that kind of stuff. It's not any one of those, hey, double move outside, I'm open, you know. Yeah. That's not who he is. And I could see Tim Patrick taking over that role effectively, because he's a dog now. He's a big physical cat, um, ain't afraid, and he's got unreal hands. I mean, the guy doesn't drop balls. So he, I could see him kind of becoming a Sean Payton favorite. Like, this is my guy. This is where we're going to – this is where our offense is going to center around him in the passing game. So the Broncos will be uh, hoping that a pretty important receiver for another team gets hurt so that they'll be on the phone to the Broncos for one of their logjammer receivers. Yeah, that's I th- what they're hoping for. I, I would think that that would, be, that would be key. And I think the way, you know, the way you look at – the way I would look at the Broncos right now is what you see is not what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. Like they're going to move a receiver, I believe, or cut a receiver. I also believe they'll they'll probably bring another running back in at some point. Um, you know, like Sean Payton will have eyes for other guys that he's known that he knows and that he's yeah. coached, and that's part of changing the culture. It's kind of the Bill Parcells theme is yeah. I want guys that can that can take my coaching that will understand what I'm trying to accomplish and help everybody else come along. So I wouldn't be surprised to see several other, you know, guys after training camp gets going and there's cuts. Yep. Guys that Sean has coached before that become part of the Denver Broncos. I, I think you'll see that. Makes sense. All right. Hey, listen, for everybody involved in the Stinky Truth Podcast, we thank you so much for listening. Continue to download the show. Thank you so much. Uh, continue to listen and share with your friends. We appreciate you guys. We'll be back with you next week.